Same, sp spending time, we sp spent some time last week just reflecting on this phrase that's very well known that Jesus uh, gave, which is, uh, you are the I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And um, pondering that, what does it mean when Jesus says this? And pondering it again, and you know, we are so easily indoctrinated by our culture that we end up, one of the responsibilities, I guess, of um, a country like Canada is because it's so inclusive, it can also give the impression that nothing matters. And that, uh, and there's this tension that, w that uh, we keep on discussing and we keep on wrestling with, which is how do you have freedom and how do you also say things matter? And how do you uh, create a place where people have the right to express themselves in ways that we might disagree with? I mean, there's lots of these conversations right now just because of what's happening in North America. And I think people are tired of Christians beating people up and saying, we need a Christian government so we can have a Christian country. And Jesus never, ever looked for that. He said, the Christian government that you will have is when I come again. But on earth, you're never going to have perfection and you're never going to get a Christian compliance, which is an awful word. You're never going to get Christian culture by legislation and government on earth. Because if that was possible, then Jesus didn't have to come. If that was possible, then it was just basically legislation that would make the difference. And if we give you the right things and we say that we give you the right rules, then you will actually obey them. And the Old Testament is a history of that, isn't it? The Old Testament is a history of how legislation on its own doesn't work because the human heart is still corrupt. And even when the human heart has asked Jesus to enter in, it still remains a battle for who's going to be king, as we all know. Because your life and my life is like the promised land. God is trying to settle it and conquer it. He calls it dying. We call it surrendering. Does that make sense? So one of the biggest, I think, waste of times is trying to start legislating things as opposed to how do, we, how do we bear witness to a God who loves in a culture that is totally all over the place. There's good reasons why people don't believe in God because they've had all kinds of bad experiences and they've had all kinds of experiences where people who called themselves fathers have abused them. There's very good reasons why people don't believe that God is good because of their experience of life, their experience of betrayal, their experience of helplessness, their experience of religion. That's why the older one gets, the more you go... The only thing dogmatic is that God is good and he loves passionately. It's the how that gets complicated. How do you enter into that? How do you share that? And it's a lifelong journey. That's why one of the things we have in our logo is it's a journey of a lifetime. And so there's t there are times in your life where you'll make decisions. And there are other times in your life where you need the environment to soften you, a bit like Jason was talking about actually, which is you need an environment that softens you and welcomes you. I, I heard you on, on, on Thursday going, Ev made me a dinner especially for me. Ev made a, a, a Jason a, a, um, a vegan dinner. Now that is witnessing to the love of Jesus, isn't it? 
You, you thought I was important enough to make me a special meal. And what that does is you're creating an environment where, where you begin to go, maybe God does love. It's very different from just arguing about God loves you. You irritate me, but God loves me. Stop asking me all these questions. And so there's an element of this mystery of how people come to know. So I can say, yes, the answer to life is believe in Jesus. How we discover that is our journey together. And one person will, will come to that revelation one way and somebody else will come to another way. And out of our insecurity, we often become really dogmatic. Or we think the way that we came is the way for all people. They're not making sense. I'm just really trying to describe mystery. <laughs> and, the fa- and, and acknowledge the fact that so many people have so many bad experiences. And so Jesus comes into a world and he doesn't actually lay down the law. He loves people. That's why he does so many healings. He meets people at their place of suffering. And he says, this is what God looks like. And they're blown away because he's not like what they thought. And so when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you go, what does that mean? And last week we talked about truth. I'm not, I won't re- reiterate all of that. But there is a truth. Truth is like gravity. There's an element of God. God has laid down truth. And it's non-negotiable. Truth without a loving father becomes an iron rod. Because I can say something and, and it's true, but the way I say it might actually take everything away from that truth. So I can be, tr- that's what the Pharisees did a lot of the time. That's why Jesus' harshest words were for the religious leaders, because they had truth empty of love. And the only way that you get truth filled with love is when your truth is applied to you before you apply it to anybody else. Because when you apply it to yourself, you'll have to go to the cross and you'll have to find humility and repentance. And you'll have to learn how to say, oh God, have mercy on me. And once you've experienced the grace of God on your life, it's not difficult to give it to other people. But if you think that God is actually really lucky to have you because you have money or you have a degree or you just have an influence, you get puffed up and you go... And you assume that lots of things in your life are because God has given them to you because you're so faithful. And it's not that. It's just because God is gracious. He didn't kill you. And so the way, we're going to talk about the way today, which is, you know, what did Jesus mean about the way? How many of you want a blueprint? You know, how many of you want a blueprint and say, this is what you have to do to be a Christian? We kind of want it. And that's why some people go to churches where they legislate how to be things. Because it takes away your need to actually deal with anything. You just follow the, you follow the, um, you follow the instructions. Always be careful of too much legalism. Always be careful of too many instructions about what you have to do. Jesus invites us into relationship and we have to work it out and walk it out. Um, and we are invited to do that in a messy group of people where all kinds of people are in different places. Some churches, they want, you know, everybody's got to jump through these hoops. Um, we're, we're quite informal in many ways. But that's because 
believe that God's love draws people in all kinds of ways. We're going to the same place, but I don't think you're going to get there by putting up a whole lot of barriers for you. I, I, I'm proud of that. But underneath the informality is actually a very conservative Christian gospel, which Jesus loves you, we're called to repent of our sins, and we're called to be filled with his spirit, and we're called to walk it out for the rest of our lives. But that's where all the troubles start, because how do you do that? But Jesus is the truth, and he is the way. Very often <coughs> in discussions about truth, you will have belief systems and doctrines. One of the things that's happened around Christianity for centuries is that we are first Baptist, we are first Methodist, we are first Anglican, we are f- whatever, you know, you go into a town and it's first church. You go, I wonder why they, di- why they did that. But the bottom line is I think all the denominations are actually a a symbol of our sinfulness, not a a symbol of God's will. He is gracious enough to allow that spectrum. I don't think he endorses anyone and says, oh, that's great. I'm Baptist too. I don't think it's going to come in the conversation. And I think, so it's important to hold denominations lightly and I think belonging to community is important because we need to learn how to lay down our lives for other people and commit ourselves somewhere. But I don't think the various churches and denominations are this is God's favorite and this isn't. There's all kinds of um, drama in between, but God is gracious and so allows that expression and this expression and they all reflect something, some more than others. But truth And so the reason I'm saying all that is because they all claim to be true. I mean, we're not Anglican for this reason. And I think there are some boundaries. I'm not saying they're not, and I could go into that, but I'm not going there today. There are boundaries. Some things matter. But I'm talking now about the core things. But if you're talking about truth with Christianity, there's nowhere that Jesus actually says, um, if you follow this truth, you will be set free. Muslim faith says that. The Hindus say that. The uh, Most other religions put truth out there. But Christianity is unique. He says, I am the truth. Truth in Christianity is a person. Because God says, look, let's get one thing clear. I'm God and you're not. Now you're wanting me to explain the world and you you want me to explain that to you so you can understand it. Which is like having, I mean, uh, there's probably a, a little infant here. Having an in, I see one at the back. I mean, it's like having that infant come up here and I'll start talking to it and try and explain to it something. And you'll go, he's really serious. He's trying to actually talk to this kid. And you would go, are you nuts? He doesn't have the capacity to have this conversation. Well, that's the kind of picture of us having conversations with God. Except that the differential is much bigger. And he goes, I can't even begin because you won't have a clue. So what I'll do with you is I've actually given you an illustration of how I teach truth. I would bring up the infant and the mother and the father And say, how are you going to teach this child about the truth of love? You're going to love the child. 
How are you going to do that? We're not going to leave it alone. We're going to actually embrace it. We walk around with it. We hold it. We talk to it. It, si- it. it learns from the tone of my voice and the warmth of my breath. It learns because of the calmness in our home. If there's violence and if there's anger in the home, it learns that. It'll become shut down very, very early on. It will learn truth from being held close to me. If you want to know the truth of God, you've got to let him hold you. Way too many are trying to have intellectual conversations with somebody who is way above your pay grade. And many people spout off as if they've had this great conversation with God and now they understand. (laughs) What you understand, hold lightly. Some people understand so that they can actually uh, construct a world view that will protect their prejudices. Some people find understandings that suit them. They call them truth. Most of us tend to wrap truth around us from our perspective, from our paradigm to justify us. And Jesus comes along and he knocks on the door and says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? That's what he did with Peter. That's why we always talk about Peter. And Peter goes, now I realize. You and I should have many, many encounters with God where we go, I was wrong. I mean, do you remember when you were last wrong? I haven't been wrong for years. This is what I state and this is what I stand on. Well, you're an idiot. Sorry, you're a blind fool. You're an empty... Jesus had lovely words for these people. A whitewashed sepulchre full of dead men's bones. So cliches are often truths, which is... The greatest truth I've learned as I get older is how little I know. It's just called humility. But I know Jesus better. I know his love better. I know his grace better. I know his kindness better. But I've got lots and lots of questions. But I also am content being a child which says I don't need to ask him now. I'll ask him later. And Jesus said, I am the way to God. Lord, we don't know where you're going, says Thomas. After he, Jesus has said, I'm coming to take you to be with me. You see, Thomas is still going, well, we don't know the way, so you've just said you're coming to be with us, but how can we come to be with you if we don't know the way? And, he, and Jesus might have looked at Thomas and said, Thomas, you might be known as doubting, but you're also dumb. I've just said to you, I'm t- coming to take you to be with me. But we don't know the way. I'm coming to be with you, to take you to be with me. But we don't know the way. I'm coming to take you to be with me. What does that mean? God has the initiative. God takes the steps. God says, you don't need to know the way because I'm coming to pick you up. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. In our culture, a lot of the time, I believe in Jesus and I'm not going anywhere. Because I want God to serve me and rescue me from all the trouble I get in and make my life peaceful when I keep on making it unpeaceful. Then I blame him when he doesn't do what I want him to do. And Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And Canada and the government of Canada stands up and says, that's way too narrow. And most of the Western world, that's way too narrow. There are lots of ways to God. It's very exclusive. It's very unfair for Jesus to say he's the only way. What about the people who follow Buddha? What about the people who are in the Hindu faith? What about the people who've never heard of him? So intellectually you try and answer those questions and you come up with the best thing we can come up with is we'll have an interfaith service which is intellectually insane because Jesus comes down to the Christians and everybody else is trying to earn their way up to God. How on earth do you speak to the same God? But on earth it makes sense because it's inclusive and nobody's rejected. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you go, well, look at the faiths in the world. There's only one revelation of God as Father. It's in Jesus. No other faith knows God as Father. No other faith knows the love of the Father. And many who come in Christian religion don't even know the love of the Father. They know the church. And the church isn't the love of the Father. And so many have been turned off because I tried it and I went to church but all I got was church. So it seemed like a dead end to me. And they were right. Have you seen the movie? There's, I love going to movies. Um, saw Manchester by the Sea. That was long and boring. Um, but if you want to see Lion, that's really good. That's an amazing, amazing movie. Lion. What, I'm going to get distracted now. But, but the movie that I want to quote is the one called Hidden Figures. It's about three black women who were working for NASA in the 60s, late 50s, 60s. And uh, they were discriminated against just badly. They couldn't do anything. But they were also geniuses. They were mathematical geniuses. It's a lovely story. And when they were doing uh, you know, the shuttles around the earth and beginning to put a man on the moon and all that stuff, the one thing that they were struggling with is how do you re-enter the earth's atmosphere without burning up? And they had to work out these calculations because they'd never done this. And the calculations are incredibly advanced math. And this woman cracked it. She was black, which really threw them for an, you know. Anyway, she, she actually is still alive, I think. She's 96 or something, and she was, she's been honored by the NASA, and, and they built, broke down a whole lot of walls. But the point is that to get back into the Earth's atmosphere, they, they have to calculate an angle to re of re-entry so that the, 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 the vehicle doesn't burn up. And it's very, very, very precise. And I will not even try and attempt how to explain that other than it's very precise, it meets a really big mathematical formula and then they have to engage it all and all the rest of it. The first, man on the, the first man who went into space said, I will not go unless this woman has worked out the coordinates because I trust her. And so he was on the launch pad waiting and he, he was waiting for her to give the, the, the verification it was okay. So why, why I think it's a good, good example is because the mathematical formula for re-entry into the Earth's orbit is not a matter of opinion. It's not, I think we should go this way. Let's come in from the left this time. It's actually precise. And if it's not, if you don't follow it, you won't survive. And so in scientific forms, nobody argues. They say, 
that's what we have to do. The laws of the world and the laws of the universe, this is how we have to do it in order to survive. And Jesus just comes into this world of science and laws and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want re-entry into God, you follow through me. You can do whatever you like otherwise, but you might burn up. The love of God is such that he says, I don't want you to burn up, I want you to re-enter in Jesus because he is your protection. He is your way, he is your truth, he is your life. The arrogance of human beings is that's way too restrictive. I want to be in a bright yellow one and I want to come on my own terms. Then burn. And you know what the problem is? You'll only know when you're there. Whatever you trust in, you'll only know when you're there. It's great to have opinions but the moment of truth is at the re-entry point. And obviously our re-entry point is death. You can't recalibrate. But the character of God that Jesus reveals says, I can trust him with what happens to Buddhists and I can trust him with what happens to Muslims. I'm not for one moment ever going to declare here, oh God hates them all. I think that's absolute rubbish. That's his problem. But if I know something of the love of the Father, it's a problem that he is jealous over. He doesn't throw people away. So it might be that because of the revelation of Jesus and the, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, in some way um, there's salvation to those who don't know him on earth. I know this is blasphemy to some, because there's, but I want to open your mind. I'm not talking about anything goes. Because ultimately, God still says, I want every Muslim and every Buddhist and every Hindu and every atheist to know me on earth. Because that's the only revelation of the Father's love on earth. So I don't want them to just find a revelation because of my grace when they're dead. I want them to come to life on earth. So that's why it's, I would have no problem trying to talk to a Buddhist or a Hindu or an atheist or a Jew or anybody else about the love of Jesus. Because it's good news. If you've been in any other religion, Jesus is really good news. It's only when it's intellectually debated that it just becomes a pastime. But when your life is on the line, it matters. Because the human heart cries out for love and the human heart cries out for meaning and for hope. So, remember in Matthew 7.14? This is... I, I before we get, I, I tend to go on a little bit. But uh, Matthew 7.14 is, you know what that says? It says the narrow door. You know the narrow. It was actually the eye of the needle. It was, there's a big door in Jerusalem and there's a little door inside there that's called the eye of the needle. And it's easier for a rich man to, you know, for a, for a man to get into heaven, but for a rich man, you know, all his stuff and his camels getting through the eye of the needle. It was quite a graphic description. I probably lost you in that muttered uh, sort of... He was basically saying, you know, you can't take all your stuff with you and it's more difficult for people for lots of stuff to get through the eye of the needle because they've got all their stuff. It's like trying to get a U-Haul truck through a keyhole. <laughs> that, thank you. You can stay around. Matthew, Matthew 7.14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, I bet you many of us have been taught, the road with Jesus is narrow. 
And the Christian life is narrow. And it's actually miserable. But it's right. The road to the place where God comes alive on earth as in heaven is narrow. The road to the cross is narrow. It's one person at a time and you come to the cross and you say, Jesus, I, I forgive me of my sins. I ask that you do not punish. I thank you that you've taken my punishment upon yourself. Every ha- human being has to do that for themselves. I happen to believe that God's love brings people to that place much more quickly or much more effectively than just saying, you know, you might be run over by a bus this afternoon, you better repent and turn on now. That might work for some of us because we're stubborn, so maybe we need that. But it's both anyway we have to come, and the road to the cross is narrow. But guess what? Once you've stepped through that cross, it's wide open space. The narrow part is it's just getting through the cross. But the inheritance of God is the promised land. The inheritance of God is off you go, take your inheritance. It's a big way. That's why Jesus says, follow me. The disciples kept saying, what do we do? And he says, follow me. What does that mean? Well, see where I go and come with me. Which is not like this girl that I'm going to show you now. Should we have the first clip there, please? Sorry? Yes, please. Turn the volume down a little bit, please. Oh, it's not like us, but you know, the people we know maybe. Jesus said, follow me, and uh, he meant it. And so there's an element of, I'm not comfortable is one of my pet hate phrases. Like, who cares? My comfort and your comfort isn't the starting place of anything other than I'm not comfortable. Okay, that's fine. I'm not comfortable being on a basketball team and having to get up and be coached. I'm not comfortable going to school every day. I'm not com- Who cares? No, you know, my comfort is not the biggest deal in the world. And if it is, I'm going to have a miserable life. I mean, the bottom line of addiction is I'm trying to keep everything at bay and I'm trying to keep myself dead and comfortable. I become a prisoner. So discomfort is part of following Jesus because it leads to life. So one of the things we settle is following Jesus has these challenges, but they're challenges of life. So when Jesus said, follow me, all, all he was doing was illustrating what's in Joshua, which is a wonderful passage, which is at the beginning after Moses has died and Joshua is going to lead the people. And he says in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Many of us pray, God, please do this, please do that, please save the world, and he says, put your foot out. Oh no, not me, Lord. I'm not ready yet. I have cows and I have a wife. I have a husband. I have children. I have this. I have that. Not me, Lord. Not yet. And that becomes our lifestyle. Because I'm not ready yet. Because you think, do you think that following Jesus is going to lead you to a place where you're ready? It's not about you. It's about him in you. How do you discover that you, he in you is effective unless you come to terms with the fact that you can't do it? But he can surprise you in him. 
I could give you illustrations that it's, uh, I've given them before, you know, that of my life. In term, and, and, and you know my life is a sort of rather pathetic example of everything other than God's grace. But everything I do has started from a place of fear or a place of inadequacy or a place of, well, how do we do this? It's just the way it is to follow Jesus. And so he says this, he says something important. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This could be Jesus' word to you right now. Be strong and courageous. Why? I'm going into the promised land. You've given it to me. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because there's enemies in here and you're going to learn how to overcome them. And in the overcoming, you're going to be built up and you're going to become stronger. It's in the process of life that you're actually going to discover my faithfulness. Every step you take, I will give you. And you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. And then he says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Keep this book of, your law, of the law always on your lips. Meditate on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Take every step and I will be with you. Be strong and courageous, which means you're going to doubt, you're going to be afraid, but I will be with you. Keep the law in your right hand. Get to know it because it's going to tell you something about who I am as you go forward. What does the way look like? The way looks like relationship. What does truth look like? The truth looks like relationship with Jesus and with community. I want to play you um, a video that's a very effective ministry that's taking place in Europe. It's called Patel Ministries to the Broken, to the Drug Addicts. And it's about tw- 10 minutes, I think. And I d- just, just let's watch this one. And this is the way, I think. When people belong to this community, they have to join for 12 to 18 months. They're not allowed any kind of substance whatsoever. No cigarettes, no drugs, no smoking, no swearing. They join the community and then they work. Uh, They have a mentor who follows them and shadows them for a couple of weeks. They have to commit for 12 to 18 months. And then they get up and they have to work from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And then they have all kinds of other community activities. They have stores where they sell stuff, where they restore um, furniture, do landscaping. I think there's a coffee shop or something. So they have these communities uh, around England. I think there are about six in England and quite a few around Spain and Southern Europe and South America. But it's all about community and relationship and community. We can uh, we can turn that off. That's just a, a little glimpse of, of that ministry. And um, I wrote to them this week because I was saying, uh, can you help us in Canada, because uh, in Vancouver Island, because we, we have a huge problem and challenge with addiction. And we have a huge problem helping people. And I want to read you the reply I got from the man because it, it, it was a it wasn't news, but it was a, it was sad to hear his reply. And this is what he said: "Thank you for your email inquiring about the possibility of Patel opening on Vancouver in the Vancouver area of Canada. 
We do not have any Battelles in Canada or America. Many years ago, we had a strong presence in New York and Philadelphia, but they are closed now. The World Evangelical Church uh, Canada offered to give us a good property near Toronto for a Battelle community a few years ago, but we turned their generous offer down. Why? We have discovered that in rich countries like the USA, Canada, and some European countries, that there is not the same need for our kind of program. Yes, of course there is a tremendous need, but some government harm reduction policies and generous welfare benefits for addicts and alcoholics tend to lessen the willingness of addicts to enter our kind of Christian program. Essentially, the greatest need that a man has is to know that he has a need. In short, our programs of total abstinence, no smoking, and work are too hard for the modern addict in a generous, rich country. The UK seems to be one of the great exceptions. That's kind of awkward, in my opinion. It's kind of embarrassing. And it bears witness to what I think is our biggest problem, both in the church and in the culture, and that is we enable everything so that nobody has to hurt. And we, take, we assume that the lack of needing of take personal responsibility and feel some pain is wrong. And so people die in harm reduction, whether it's in the church or in addiction stuff. Because somewhere on the line, I have to say, God, I give up. Jesus, I need a savior. Somewhere along the line, I need to let somebody say, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Somewhere on the line, I have to take responsibility. And Jesus says, I am the way. And what we've done in Canada and other places is we've got a double highway. Well, sort of the way. But you can come and you can have your addiction and you can do this because we're going to keep on loving you. And I'm speaking now in mystery because I don't know the answer here. All I'm saying is that it's, an, it's a problem not just with addictions, it's also a problem with Christians. Where there's a kind of very superficial Christianity because I want everything. So I want my U-Haul trailer and I want a way, sort of way. And this is why I have this here as I finish. It's called a level. <laughs> 